Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. Our verses this morning raise the question for us, who is doing the will of God? Who is doing the will of God? And it's a relevant question for all kinds of reasons. Perhaps we're new into London and we're looking for a church to call home. Well, quite rightly, we want to be among God's people, people doing his will. Maybe we're investigating the claims of Jesus. And so we want to do that in a place, won't we, where we're encountering his genuine work, where his will is being done. How do we tell who is doing the will of God? And then as Christians day by day, well, this is a question that matters to us. We want to live according to God's will, personally, together as a church. So what does that look like? What's at the heart of it? And through history, there have been times when even the religious establishment does things that they claim are God's will and yet depart from his word. And times like this can be unsettling for the Christian and it can raise that question of, well, who's right? Who is doing the will of God? And if we're to go against those establishments and their experts or even face hostility for doing so, are we doing the right thing? I suggest we're in a time... A bit like that, as we consider the Church of England, a recent statement by the House of Bishops declares that when it comes to what God says about marriage, it's time to move on. Quote, based on what the church has told us, no change is not an option. So who is doing the will of God? And that's the kind of situation we encounter in our passage this morning. Jesus is in the temple. He's in Jerusalem. He's addressing the religious elite of his day. The chief priests and the elders, you see that in verse 23. 
But they are refusing to accept his divine authority. And so he wants them to think about their response. Verse 28 begins, what do you think? And Jesus will go on to tell them a tale of two sons. And the issue at the heart of this parable, well, it's there in verse 31, the question, which of the two did the will of his father? See, these may be the religious leadership of Israel, the temple keepers, the gatekeepers of the temple of the Lord. But Jesus wants them to think about who's really doing the will of the one true living God who commissioned that house. And Jesus spoke these words to the chief priests and elders to expose their opposition to him for what it really was. Far from doing God's will, they were opposing him. But in this whole section, Matthew presents this exchange for us as disciples of Jesus, or perhaps those considering whether we want to follow Jesus, so that we can see his verdict on the chief priests and elders and are giving solid confidence in what God's will really is so that we're strengthened to stand firm in devotion to Jesus under his authority in his kingdom, even if there's a religious establishment that's opposing it. And so Jesus wants us to think about this tale of two sons. And as we do that, we're going to draw out three points this morning. God's will is that we accept Jesus' authority. God's will is that we repent and enter the kingdom. But rhetoric without repentance, well, that opposes God's will. And so let's turn to our first point. Before we dive into the parable, um, it's helpful to recap the context. Bethany read the whole um, section for us because this is part of a conversation that began back in verse 23. And all through, the issue is Jesus' authority. A day earlier, Jesus had entered the temple emphatically. He'd announced the end of the temple as it's established, and all its establishments, because like the fig tree that bore no fruit, well, the temple too bore no fruit. Jesus had judged the temple, and as he'd done so, he'd announced the dawn of everything that the temple pointed to, relationship with God through faith in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of David, the true temple. And in response, well, the chief priest and the elders asked the kind of obvious question, if you like. Verse 23, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? In effect, who gave you the right, Jesus, to do this in the temple? And Jesus answers, and it is a brilliant answer. We thought about it last week in depth, but he avoids being trapped by their question by asking them a question. It's not an evasive question. It's a question that makes the answer obvious. I remember receiving some training on leading Bible studies, and we were told that a good question in a Bible study is a bit like crossing the ball in a game of football. So if the cross is too hard, well, it's impossible for the striker to score. If it's too easy, it just kind of rolls across the goal. Well, no one wants to score. It's just too easy. So a good question is like a good cross. It takes a little bit of effort, but it's really inviting just to get your head on it. Well, the question Jesus asked in verse 25 is a tap-in of a question. Verse 25, the baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? John the Baptist was the last and greatest prophet of God. He was well known in Judea. 
And he came in clear fulfillment of God's word in the Old Testament as the prophet that would come and prepare the way for the Lord as he prepared the way for Jesus, the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. And they ask Jesus by what authority he judges the temple. Jesus says, well, what would John say about me? And if you remember Ronnie Rosenthal, you'd have to be like him if you were going to miss scoring this one. It's a clear statement of Jesus' God-given authority. And they refuse to acknowledge it. In fact, they discuss among themselves and they come up in verse 27 with the answer, we do not know. They don't want to admit it. And so Jesus says, well, if you don't know, let's think a bit harder. Verse 28. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. I wonder if we can relate to this parable. We might think of the parent asking their child to tidy their bedroom and they're met with the groan, I don't want to. But then a few hours later, they pop their head around the door and, wow, they find it's all being cleaned. The first son says, I will not. But afterwards, he went and changed his mind. Or perhaps it's the request to empty the dishwasher. Just coming, goes the reply. But time ticks by and the plates remain stacked inside the machine. The second son answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Maybe we can relate to this kind of scene at home. Perhaps we've come across it in the workplace. Perhaps we are the boss or perhaps we manage a team. We ask a colleague. Could you produce that report for me? Yes, comes the reply. And then hours and days go by, and the document never arrives in the inbox. The tale of two sons. It's a very relatable story. And at the heart of it is this of the issue is response to authority, response to true authority. The father was legitimately head of the household, and The vineyard was part of the family business. And so he has quite right authority to ask his sons to go into the vineyard. And so in this context, in Jesus' conversation, well, the sons' response to their father's authority are pictures of the the response of the chief priests and the elders to Jesus' authority. And so question in verse 31 gets to the heart of the matter. Which of the two did the will of his father? That is, who responded rightly? To authority. Now, before we go any further, it may be that all this talk of authority is something we're not sure we like that much. We're in a culture that's pretty suspicious of authority. News feeds tell us of police officers or politicians or pastors or all kinds of people misusing their authority. Many, if we speak to them, will say they feel let down by the authorities in one way or another. And the human heart by nature likes to be its own boss. But by this time in in Matthew's gospel, by chapter 21, well, we have seen Jesus has an authority that's like no other. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, and it is wonderful. He has the authority to establish his kingdom, and it's a kingdom in which his goodness abounds, and in which men and women find sins forgiven, where mercy is extended, where burdens are lifted, 
In chapters 19 and 20, we saw it's a kingdom shaped by grace, undeserved kindness, gift. Under Jesus' authority, we find a yoke that is easy. We find rest for our souls. And Jesus asked, which of the two did the will of his father? He's asking us to think, do we accept Jesus' authority? See, if we're looking to settle in a church, a place to call home, well, is it a place where God's will is being done? And so we want to ask, is it a place where Jesus is Lord, where he has authority, where his word sets the agenda? And if we want to live according with God's will, well, the heart of the issue is, will we accept Jesus' authority as our Lord? And when we look around and encounter actions done in God's name and ask, is that really God's will? Well, we need to ask, do they line up with what Jesus says? And it's the same for anyone, whether a bishop or other. We may say impressive things, but if we're not accepting Jesus' authority, well, are we doing God's will? Jesus tells this tale of two sons. Which did the will of his father? The chief priests and the elders reply straight away first. It seems like such an easy question, a tap-in. Because the father wanted his son to go into the vineyard. And whilst the second son spoke well, he didn't do anything. But the first son did it. And so Jesus wants us to keep thinking. Because to accept Jesus' authority is not just about what we say. But it's about what we do. And so this is our second point. God's will is that we repent and enter the kingdom. Verse 31. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Well, the chief priests and elders give their response to Jesus' question. Jesus responds by delivering his authoritative verdict on them. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. The parable is about the father's instruction to go and work in the vineyard. And through these chapters, that image of working in the vineyard is a picture of receiving the kingdom of heaven. And that's how Jesus applies the parable. The tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. But those words would be totally shocking to the religious establishment of Israel. Tax collectors were rightly condemned. They were traitors in collaboration with Rome, greedy for personal gain. And prostitutes too rightly condemned for sexual immorality. And here Jesus says they enter the kingdom of God before the men who run the temple and lead the religious ceremonies and teach the law. You could imagine the scene on a daytime TV show. On one side of the couch, there's the traitor and the harlot. On the other side, the vicar and the bishop. Jesus is being interviewed. The host says, tell us which one will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus points to the criminal and the prostitute. And the faces of the clergy go red with rage. Truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Well, how can Jesus say this? Well, verse 32, he explains, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. See, the tax collectors and prostitutes enter the kingdom of heaven because they believed The words of John the Baptist. Now, it might seem a bit surprising that Jesus brings John the Baptist up here. But in the context, well, John's word is the issue. 
around, um, around which who we're responding to. The issue is our, of authority is responding to John's words. And by speaking of John here, Jesus ties together that need to accept his authority and the action that follows when we do. Because both Jesus and John, well, their message was one of repentance. So to believe John was to believe his word about Jesus. We read earlier that John, what John says about Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals are not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. And Matthew then records how when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended on him. And a voice from heaven declared, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. John's ministry points to Jesus' heavenly authority. And by Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has come as Lord to judge his temple, fulfilling the world that Malachi prophesied when he said he would send a messenger before the way to prepare the way for the Lord. And when the Lord came to his temple, he would bring judgment. So to believe John is to believe the authoritative word about Jesus. And to believe John and accept Jesus' authority, well, that meant taking action. As John prepared the crowds to meet Jesus, he instructed them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And now repentance, like authority, I guess it's another word which probably doesn't trend that often on TikTok or Instagram. Perhaps as we hear it this morning, we think, well, it just sounds a bit old-fashioned. We feel a bit awkward talking about it. But repentance is actually a wonderful thing. Because repentance describes what happens when we recognize Jesus for who he is and accept his authority and enter his kingdom. To repent is literally to turn around 180 degrees. It's what happens when you take the wrong turning on a journey and you admit it and you turn around and you go back the other way. You repent. It's what follows when we recognize Jesus is Lord, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Repentance is to turn from living life with ourselves as king, I live for me, to living life with Jesus as king. I surrender to him. And repentance is visible. It's a change of mind, yes, but there will be fruit that comes in keeping with repentance. Jesus asked the chief priests and elders, which of the two sons did the father's will? See, repentance is not just the words of the second son, I go, sir, but like the first son, it will be seen in actions. But afterwards, he changed his mind and he went. When we believe the word about Jesus, that he is Lord, and surrender to him, and let his word take root in our lives, the fruit of repentance will show and it will grow in changed lives. It will mean taking decisions, taking action as we hand over the keys of our life to him. The tax collectors believed John. They accepted Jesus as Lord. They trusted him for forgiveness of sins and they stopped their extortion. The prostitutes believed John and accepted Jesus' authority. They depended on his mercy And they turned away from sexual immorality to devote themselves to the kingdom of heaven. A few weeks back, we had the joy of baptizing two people here on Sunday morning. And those being baptized wrote a few paragraphs about their story, their personal story of coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
And one line in one of them just really captures this. Speaking of Jesus, she wrote, Once I understood who you are, my life has changed. God's will is that we accept Jesus' authority. And to accept Jesus' authority is to believe and repent. And so enter the kingdom of heaven. And did you notice how the parable shows us how much the father wants this? Verse 28, he says, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He wants his sons in the vineyard. God's will is that many would enter the kingdom. And he's made the way known. A while back, I came across a recording on the St. Helens website. It was from 1985, and it was when the former special counsel to U.S. President Richard Nixon, a man called Chuck Colson, spoke at one of the lunchtime meetings here. Colson was sentenced to prison for his part in the cover-up of the Watergate scandal. And yet during his trial, a friend spoke to him of the gospel, and Colson says he recognized his sin, his pride, and he turned to Jesus. And at the time, he told reporters, I've committed my life to Jesus Christ. I can work for the Lord in prison or out of prison. You see, he accepted Jesus' authority. And he went on to live a life bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. See, repentance is a wonderful thing because it is to respond rightly to Jesus and enter the kingdom of God. And the kingdom is open to anyone who believes this word about Jesus and comes to him for forgiveness and surrenders to him as Lord. It might be the public figure embroiled in a scandal. It might be the friend or family member or the colleague we know who's made a mess of things. It might be that there's somebody here this morning particularly conscious of failure and wondering if Jesus offers any good news. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's the one in whom forgiveness is found. And as we come under his authority, we enter the kingdom of heaven. When we accept his rule, there'll be fruit in keeping with repentance because our lives are governed by his word. Think of the parent whose child said no when they asked them to tidy the room. But later, well, they saw the bedroom perfect and spotless. There'd have been joy in that household. Well, how much more in heaven as a sinner repents and enters the kingdom? God's will is that we repent and enter the kingdom. But as Jesus tells of the way into the kingdom of God, he exposes the chief priests and elders and their failure to enter. And this is our third point, rhetoric without repentance. Well, that opposes God's will. Verse 31 again. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. Jesus spoke these words to cause the chief priests and elders to think about their own situation. And he delivers his authoritative verdict on them. Did you notice how many times he says you? I say to you, truly I say to you in verse 31, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you and in the way of righteousness and and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. 
See, they may have spotted that the first son did the father's will, but Jesus shows that they are the second son in the story. They talk the talk when it comes to things of God. They delivered the temple liturgy. They made pronouncements on matters of law. They led great religious ceremonies. If you ask them, what's your goal in life? They would say, it's to do the will of God. But they are the son that says, I go, sir. But he did not go. They hear John's word and they don't believe it. And they reject Jesus' authority. And so they oppose the will of God. And the tragedy here is they won't even change their minds to become like the first son. Jesus gives the tax collectors and the prostitutes as an example of the way into the kingdom. And the first son too, he's an example of one who eventually recognizes his father's authority and repents. The first son is a picture of wonderful hope, the hope of the gospel. The offer open today to anyone here or listening at home, however stubbornly you may have resisted Jesus, the hope that you can change your mind to accept Jesus' authority, repent and enter the kingdom. As J.C. Ryle puts it, let it be a settled principle in our Christianity that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is infinitely willing to receive penitent sinners. And yet the chief priests and elders see the tax collectors and the prostitutes go in before and they refuse to go in after. They don't want to acknowledge Jesus' authority. And so this is the first of three parables which Jesus will deliver his verdict on Israel. And the verdict is not doing God's will. The kingdom of heaven is near, but despite great words, the temple and its leadership are not part of it. And whilst the temple and its leadership was unique to first century Jerusalem, this pattern of a religious leadership speaking for God, yet denying the authority of his son, well, that has existed all through history. And so these verses are a sober warning to the person who claims they're doing God's will, but they deny Jesus' authority. And even if they're members of the religious establishment or been going to church for years, they're a warning to bishops or even archbishops however much discernment they may have done, who are steering people away from God's word and so denying Jesus' authority. But Matthew is a disciple-making disciple and he's recorded this encounter to equip us as disciples and to give us confidence to stand firm under Jesus' authority even if we find the establishment has turned away. See, Matthew's original readers would have been following Jesus whilst that temple was still standing. And it was impressive, and it was powerful. And it had been so easy to ask, well, are we really on the right track? Just look at it, the temple. Who is really doing God's will? Are we sure we're doing the right thing? And so they needed to know that as the chief priests and elders refused Jesus' authority and persisted in unrepentance, Jesus' verdict was that they were not doing God's will. And so today, when we know that there are councils or leaders denying Jesus' authority, however spiritual it may sound, we can be confident it's not God's will. The tale of two sons helps us to cut through the noise and to see things plainly. And so this parable will give us confidence to stand firm under Jesus' authority, to live without compromise for him under his good rule and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And it will stir us up to pray for repentance 
so that those who have erred might change their minds and become like the first son. And this parable gives us great confidence to keep proclaiming the gospel message of repentance and faith as we think about Christmas coming up. That is the message we have to proclaim. It's a wonderful message because God's will is if we accept Jesus' authority and God's will is that we repent and enter the kingdom and we will declare this gospel, this message of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ where we are disciples who are declaring the will of God. And so we can be confident to proclaim it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your will is that anyone who believes in your son, Jesus, and surrenders to him in repentance and faith, enters your kingdom. Thank you that your will is plain, that we would accept Jesus as Lord. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins found in Jesus, such that we can repent in full assurance of your mercy. We ask, Father, that those in charge in the Church of England who are unrepentant might change their minds. And we ask that we might stand firm under Jesus' authority and boldly proclaim this gospel of repentance and faith. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.